Hey, what are you doing on March 6th and 7th? How about making your way to DX3 in Toronto for a two-day deep dive into digital marketing, digital advertising, and digital retailing? Along with a free exhibit hall, there are going to be over 40 sessions, including speakers from Microsoft, Salesforce.com, Google, Well.ca, Facebook, Lowe's, and Mountain Equipment Co-op. Come see what one attendee called a rare thing in the digital world. Register at www.dx3canada.com today. See you there. Welcome to This Week in Location-Based Marketing, the most trusted podcast dedicated to the new business of location. This week in location-based marketing, episode number 114. This is recorded live Friday evening, January 25th, 2013. My name, Rob Woodbridge from Untether.tv. And I'm in the frigid, frigid, freezing north, Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. With me as always, Asif Khan from the Location-Based Marketing Association. And uh, also in uh, the cold today, but uh, not as much snow as you. So there you go. No, you don't even know cold. <clears throat> Toronto doesn't get cold. It's like, oh my. We don't get snow. We don't really get cold, but hey. It's like minus five in Toronto. It's like, oh my God, I can't believe it. I'm going to have to I have to actually put socks on my loafers. Right? Is yeah. That Something like that. <laughs> you got to get out the heated blankets. Yeah, you know. This is, of course, the place you come to to understand what has happened in the past week in the location-based marketing world. We add a little twist. We add our own thoughts, our own opinions. We cover the news. We cover a lot of people. We've got a great guest. Boy, this is uh, it's just its great shows. And this is episode number 114. That's consecutive weeks that we've done this. I don't remember when we started. It just seems like a, li a lifetime ago, Asif, and, and here we are. It does, it's, uh, but but you know, there's just so much news out there. There's so much uh, to cover on a week by week basis, and why stop now? Especially when we got all these people, uh, you know, commenting and sending us uh, encouragement. We love it, and uh, you know, sponsors come, coming along and whatnot. So uh, yeah, it's fun. It is well, and and uh, certainly the news items just just flow off the off the page, and it's. The challenge, I think, is is limiting the number of news items. And uh, so we'll make some format changes as we go. We are experimenting always, 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 always. And maybe even, a, you know, something new that pops up in the next week or so. So just keep your ears and eyes open for that. Before we dive into the stories, before we, we hear from Grant Ritchie, who's the founder and CEO of a company called Locationary, who's our special guest, before we get into any of that, I'd really like to know, is there anything that's going on, Asif, with the Location-Based Marketing Association? You guys are so sedentary. You sit back, you're always in Toronto, you don't do anything, <laughs> no events. Yeah, you know, there's, there's absolutely nothing yeah. going on. Um, you know, uh, I'm not traveling uh, for the next, uh, you know, week and a half or so, so uh, so that's good. Um, actually at home, doing doing some local Toronto stuff, um, you know, doing a little project with uh, DMTI Spatial on... Uh, you know, and some of their data around financial services. So that's kind of interesting stuff. And, um, you know, but uh, we're, we're gearing up for that first week of February uh, with the Apps World uh, North America Conference in San Francisco, a huge event, um, you know, that we're involved in and uh, looking forward to that. Um, and uh, there's, uh, you know, Digital Signage Expo not too far along uh, right after that, towards the end of February. Cross Media TO, uh, which is an interesting event here in Toronto as well, um, 
in the third week of February. So there's plenty coming on. February is a busy month, so I'm happy to have a little uh, slow time for the next week. Let's call it slow time. I don't, I don't, I don't believe that there's such a thing, right? Um, we all should should also uh, before we even we even forget it. We should also bring up um, the fact that in March, DX3 is uh, is going to be in Toronto. And, yes, uh, we love those guys, the Anthony's over at uh, at DX3 Hut to Hut that are putting that uh, that show on. So take a look at DX3. It's in Toronto. Five, six, eight thousand uh, people in the mobile industry descending uh, in yeah. Toronto. Uh, so yeah, phenomenal event. It, it's up on the LBMA site if you want to uh, link to it. Uh, as well, um, you know, and just take a look at the calendar there. There's a long list of events on the LBMA calendar, including several of our own chapters. Uh, I know Atlanta and Amsterdam uh, have events already uh, on the docket. Uh, San Francisco and New York, um, you know, we'll be announcing shortly as well uh, events there. So, yeah. Now, before before we get into the news, I, I maybe I, I want to mix it up a little bit here because uh, I didn't even warn Asif that I was going to do this, so uh, just waiting for his reaction. But I want to I want to talk about an app that I have become obsessed with over the last forty eight hours, uh, and it is location uh, dependent. It is relevant to this. It's a it's an app called Moves M O V E S. I'm going to throw it up on my screen here like this. You'll see a little bit of it. This is a, everybody's familiar with Fitbit and all of these fitness trackers that track how many feet you, how many uh, steps you take uh, throughout the day, as well as how many uh, hours of sleep you get. And I'm fascinated by this space. And this one moves, it's moves-app.com, tracks your whereabouts, tracks how many steps you've taken because it's in your pocket. Your phone is always with you. You don't need an extra little bid or anything like that attached to you. No bracelet, no anklet, no, no pin, no nothing. And it's 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 pretty cool. It's fascinating to see your your travels, and it understands whether you're in the car, you're on a bike, you're walking. It understands how long you've been sedentary, so it it, it uh, kind of tells you where you've been during the day, and then it allows you to through Foursquare not check in, but identify the locations that you're at. So this is this is my latest obsession. I wanted to start with it because I'm obsessed with it. Moves-app.com. We're gonna try to get those guys on the show because it's a pretty fascinating thing that they're that they're building here. So I just thought I'd bring, bring that up. Yeah, it looks really interesting. I haven't had a chance to play with it yet, but I will now, obviously. Yes. Um, you know, that, that whole space of kind of tracking movement uh, from a location perspective, you know, Kip uh, Geo kind of looks at it from a different perspective around kind of bookmarking, you know, what you're doing and, and giving you a, a, hit, a life history, so to speak, um, you know, from, from a location point of view, um, there's a guy I was talking to recently in Germany that is doing something similar to Moves, uh, but more focused on helping you understand, um, you know, where you're because it knows kind of the type of movement you're doing and and and, and where you're doing it. Uh, they're they're applying that to parking and transit uh, applications and things like that. So, anyway, I, I you know, th th these kind of things really fascinate me. It's like path. I, I use uh, I use an app to uh, to follow to wake my help me wake up that I can never remember the name of it but it's called uh, give me a second it's called Sleep Cycle Th these these things like Path and um, and Hip Geo and uh, Moves are, are really I think the the beginning of the next generation of location aware applications and it's uh, to me this is uh, it's pretty cool so if you have time if you have the inclination and you're not afraid of your privacy being violated go to moves app dot dot com All right what what do you say we actually start the show. Let's do it. Sorry about that. Fascinating. And, if, and I swear, if I have another obsession about something like that that isn't Bruce Springsteen, I'll bring it up right here just so that you guys can, <laughs> can hear it first. 
I like the qualifier. Yeah. There it we won't go. be Bruce Springsteen, although I have an example of that coming up in one of the stories. It won't be Shakira. No, <laughs> it will not. <laughs> Who She had a baby. Who knew? It was a perfect week, right? There you go. So this week, we've got uh, we got five great stories for you. We're going to interject a little bit more opinion about these, but uh, we've got some great stories. We're going to start it off with a company called Listia, uh, partnering with this other company. I, I mean, I swore that Best Buy went out of business. I, I swear to God that they went out of business, but apparently they are still in business um, doing something, and they partnered with a company called Listia. So let's start by understanding what this relationship is. Yeah, so Listia is a, uh, a service, uh, uh, it's a Y Combinator company, uh, Andreas and Horowitz, Y Combinator, so these guys are uh, got some funding, obviously. Um, they're all about rewards, uh, and they've come up with this partnership with Best Buy that basically says, look, if you t bring in your old stuff effectively, uh, you can trade that you know old stuff in for rewards that can then be redeemed uh, at Best Buy. Um, you know, so so here here's my take on this. Um, you know, people like rewards. Who doesn't want to get something for their old stuff that they don't need anymore? We used to call that a garage sale. Now we call it listia, apparently. Um, but anyways, um, here here's my issue with this. My issue is is that you know, as you said, you know, we thought Best Buy was dead. Um, this is grasping at straws. You know, Best Buy needs to find ways to drive traffic into their store. They need to be different uh, and find differentiators from every other, you know, uh, place I can buy electronics and TVs and and so on out there. And for me, you know, all the more reason to go hyper local and 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 really really understand people around each store, the neighborhoods around those stores. You know, this kind of thing should be done on a very local basis. This is where you should be applying, you know, partnerships with peer-to-peer -peer marketplaces, with the Zarlies of the world, the peer bees of the world, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Um, you know, if I've got stuff that I want to get rid of, fine. Okay. But, you know, at least understand where these people are relative to, the, you know, the, the nearest Best Buy store. You know, and find ways to connect in a, in a hyperlocal marketplace model, right? You know, if I'm going to go trade stuff with somebody else, like from a Zarly or, or a Peer B marketplace perspective, why not have Best Buy be the place that we meet up? Uh, you know, and, and do that. This is the challenge I have with it. Uh, you know, the concept of getting stuff and getting rewarded for my old stuff, I like. That's good. Everybody, you know, you know, you know, there's a life for everything, you know, and and you know, recycling and, and all that kind of stuff. I'm a big fan of, obviously, but what I don't like is that they haven't understood the importance of, you know, the local store driving traffic to it and the community around it and how we monetize. Yeah, well, it. Uh, I don't have anything else to add to that. This is uh, they Best Buy just doesn't get it, um, and and I think that the big challenge that they're going to have is. Uh, you got to get people into the store for them to be able to buy things. So I'm I, yeah. right on with that. Um, and there are so many other more worthy partners that, that could uh, that could do this on a local level. So uh, what do you think? I mean, Listia, Y Combinator back company, um, as you said, a great pedigree of companies of uh, investors, but um, but maybe this isn't a match made in heaven at this point. But yeah. if you want to check out Listia, go to listia.com. Um, and if you uh, have anything to say as we go through these stories, reach out through email. You know our email addresses. I'll give them to you one time this show. Rob at untethered.tv or seif at the lbma.com. I will not repeat that ever, ever. You know, the, and the other quick thing I want to add to this is, is you know, the, as we think about hyperlocal, as we think about, you know, what Best Buy should be doing, you know, the comments I just made around that, you know, I can't under, 
underscore the importance of the loyalty piece, right? You know, there's people who love Best Buy. There's people who go to Best Buy over and over again. And, you know, how is that factored into the rewards that are going on in this program? Like, like I don't see any recognition there. This is just, oh, I got some stuff I want to get rid of. I'll get some points. I get some stuff I can redeem at Best Buy. What about the people who shop at Best Buy, you know, four times, you know, a month? You know, what about all those guys? Like, what are you doing with them? And, and, and how are they getting rewards? Are they getting rewards on Listia too? No. Um, so I think the loyalty reward piece uh, is something that needs to be looked at when you're starting to put these things together. And so on that note, just a quick sidebar, uh, one of our members, Frontflip, this week out of Kansas City, which is a loyalty uh, platform, raised $3.75 bucks. Um, you know, and so kudos to them for doing that. They're in the digital scratch card business, um, you know, that retailers like that should be looking at too. So maybe you get your rewards, you scratch, and, and, and you see what you get. You know, there's combinations of things here that can be put together from a loyalty, rewards, analytics perspective that I think, you know, some of these guys are missing the point. Uh, so anyways, um, you know, take a look at Front Flip too. 3.75 million Series B for them. Um, and uh, one of the guys behind that, uh, they, they got some serious guys uh, uh, behind this, but one of them is the uh, former chairman and CEO of AMC Entertainment, um, uh, Peter Brown. So uh, anyhow, there you go. Well, uh, yeah, I, I like that, that the approach that you've just taken there that, that uh, you know, for, for Best Buy, it might be just about holding on to their existing customers, right? And giving them the reason to come back. And it, it, isn't, uh, it isn't about uh, kind of attract the, the, the garage sale guys who want to give, get away the, give away their junk. Um, you know, and, and it, uh, yeah, this, this reeks, but uh, I, I, I'm not a big fan of what, what this is now that you pointed this out. So, but I am a big fan of front flip, and I think that a front flip Best Buy combination would be perfect. There you go. Right. You heard it here first. You and if it happens, it's because of us. Um, our, our second story, this was a huge story when it broke uh, last week. We decided to defer it a week so that we could actually have some time to play around with it. It was the Facebook graph search. Um, and this was this is so significant because of a number of things, obviously, because it's the first time that they've opened up this, this social graph to this kind of deep search. I mean, they actually put a search around it for the first time. And of course, the flip side, flip side of it is that, hey, is this a serious privacy issue because of the fact that you can do, do such search? And uh, have, have you, has it been activated for you, Asif, yet? Yeah. Um, I mean, this, this is a huge, huge, uh, you know, undertaking for Facebook to, to open this thing up. You have to, I mean, and in some respects, for me, um, you know, the, the key piece around this is how they actually finally get to, you know, mobile. Um, you know, so, so, you know, we, we can talk about that, but I, I'd love your comments on it first and, and then I'll, I'll weigh in this. Sure. Time. Well, yeah, cause I, I, um, I'm going to, I'm going to bring mine up here cause I just did a quick search and this is where Springsteen comes into it. I did a quick search for fans of Bruce Springsteen to live in Ottawa, Ontario. I just happened to be at the top of the list cause I think it's me. I don't think it's indicative of the fact that I am, I'm a big fan. And then my brother is second and my sister is next, but that is not what I wanted to show you. Uh, it's the fact that that everybody beyond that uh, is not a friend of mine. Uh, we are all brothers and sisters in the great cause, but we are not friends on Facebook. None of these people, as I scroll through this, and this list is endless, and it's crazy. 
because if you look at it uh, on the right hand side of the screen if, and for you who aren't watching this and you're listening on the right hand of my screen it says more than a thousand people meet the criteria of fans of bruce springsteen who live in ottawa ontario not surprising mind you i, I think that number is low um and some of you might think it's it's high but it's the granularity with which I can drill down here. It's absolutely crazy what I can do. I can actually pull up, uh, you know, people who, uh, their education levels, I can, I can distill it down by their degrees, by when they graduated, who they're married to, who their cousins are. This is a treasure trove of data for marketers. It is incredible. And I think I, I'm, I'm mixed on this, is that, uh, that this is ultimate segmentation. But then again, this is also ultimate invasion of privacy because my guess is none of these people that are listed on this page are actually the ones that signed up and said, yeah, I, I don't mind having my, my, uh, my data being displayed like that. It, it tells you everything about them. And uh, that, is, that is surprising, frightening, but it is huge for de demographic data. It just shows you how much that, uh, that Facebook class. Yeah. Well, I, I'll agree with the comment on, on the privacy issues around this. I, I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of risk here uh, on the part of Facebook to go go down this road. Um, you know, but from a location perspective, awesome. there's an awesome, awesome. It's incredible. Um, it was interesting. I was reading. Uh, Damien Rolson uh, wrote a piece uh, on, uh, on on Street Fight. Uh, about this, and I, I, I like how he uh, he put it. He 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 basically put this little this little uh, chart together that that said, "Here are the kinds of things that you can do with this. I can find restaurants that my friends like. I can find restaurants near me that my friends like. I can find restaurants near me that my friends like who like Pokemon. I can find <laughs> restaurants near me that my friends like who like Pokemon, and also work at Starbucks." Um, and what they like, so so it, it's just this, this this kind of like ongoing amorphous, you know, ability to kind of just further and further segment, um, you know, and as you said, they don't even have to be friends. Like it's just people like that are on you know Facebook, uh, and that's the risky part. It it becomes for me, it becomes you know if you think about in some respects, if you think about that whole market that we saw a year and a half ago, you know, around the belugas of the world and the group me's and all of that, and, you know, which are location-based messaging and, and uh, uh, social discovery platforms around finding people around you that you don't know and trying to hook up with them uh, for whatever reason, you know, whether it be, you know, you like the same kind of food or you actually want to hook up with them. Um, in some respects, we're, we're not talking about something that different here. Um, and, and and we saw the the failure of that market. So 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 I wonder, you know, how this data gets used, except for by brands and marketers that you know really want to find and target specific individual users, which which for me then crosses the privacy gap. Well, there's no other reason to do this, right? Uh, you know, for the average user, um, I, I mean, maybe I, I I'm interested in in you know I don't have a lot of friends on Facebook. I have I have enough where. I know every one of them, um, and uh, maybe, yeah, yeah, maybe I have 175 people that I've connected with, and and I don't have 5,000, and and um, I'm interested in certain things with them, so I can I can do this, I can use the, the graph search to to find, you know, re, you know, sushi restaurants that my friend in Vancouver has recommended, right? And I think that that is where this really starts to kick in. But but you mentioned it very well, is that the web is is to me irrelevant. 
Like this experience on, on the web is irrelevant. The experience on mobile is where it has to happen. And the experience on mobile has to be part of uh, the DNA of the operating system of the phone that I'm using. So it's always on, it's always, it's, uh, it's inferring based on my actions what I should be doing next. And it knows that if I'm in Vancouver or if I'm in Toronto, that it pulls that social graph. It's a, I hate using that word. But that social graph from Toronto and makes recommendations based on the, just that segment of the people that I know who who have you know maybe gone to fourteen sushi restaurants or fifteen sushi restaurants mm -hmm. and make a recommendation. It has to get that smart before this really, really, really becomes. You know, I, I spent some time with Dave Lee from from Bump today, and he talks about the transition from the age of intent, which is you doing something, initiating something, to the age of influence. Or inference, sorry, right. and and that's what has to happen here is that Facebook has to be that inference engine based on everything it knows about me, and that's where mobile comes in for these guys. And so, I'm I, I give this up on the web, but when it comes to mobile, their implementation there has got to be stellar. You agree with that? Yeah, I completely agree. I got nothing else to add to that. It's you know um, they got they got to be really careful. They got to implement this thing properly. Uh, personally, I think there's a lot of risk. I don't think, uh, you know, there's obvious value for brands uh, in this uh, used in a right way. I don't see consumers, you know, like the average user of Facebook, you know, really leveraging this. I mean, the stalkers that are on Facebook are stalkers, you know. Um, yeah, I don't mean that as in, you know, stalkers. I mean the people who are on Facebook, the lawyers yeah. that are on Facebook. Uh, the lurkers that are there, uh, you know, will get some kicks out of something like this, but it's not something that's going to be used by the masses. No, I, I, uh, I, I would agree. It's the data is there. So that, that's our assessment. What do you think? Reach out. Let us know what you think if uh, we're way off. But it, I, I will hold, withhold judgment on all of this to see what their mobile implementation of this is, because I believe that this could be the future of Facebook as a result of what they do on mobile. It could either be the future or it'll be just another humdrum, ho-hum experiment. But, um, but mobile, I think, is where this, this is going to be won or lost for them. And, and if you're surprised that there are more than 1,000 Bruce Springsteen fans in Ottawa, I just feel sad. Show the man a little respect. <laughs> All right, our third story. This is, a, uh, this is interesting. The challenge we've always seen, or what we've always heard from, from sites like Pinterest is how much revenue it drives. That, that people click through all of these, uh, you know, pins that you're putting up there to product and, they, and they're closing sales. And then there's this company called, or this, uh, yeah, this, this website launches called The Hunt. And they're telling you that, no, no, no. In fact, only a small percentage, less than 20% of actual products that are being pinned lead to a commerce, lead to a, a place where you can buy it. And the rest, people are just hunting to try to find those products. And that's where the hunt comes yeah, in. And I think, I, I, you know, I tend to agree with this. Obviously, I have no data to back it up, but the sentiment of it I tend to agree with. You know, a lot of the stuff I see on Pinterest, and I'm not, you know, a big user of Pinterest, but a lot of the stuff that I see on it is really just ideas and inspiration and stuff that people look at and go, yeah, you know, I really like that. I'm going to try and, you know, make one of those myself, right? Or, you know, it's ideas for, you know, recipes and meals or crafts or, you know, whatever it is, and, and uh, you know, it's an inspiration as opposed to a, a product that I'm bookmarking to say, I'm going to go and buy that thing, that specific item. 
Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I can definitely see that. Um, so explain what it is, uh, Asif, just, you, you know, a little bit of background for this is that ultimately this is people post those photos up that they want to buy, but there's no link to a buy and they can't find it. So it's, this reminded me of project Noah for like wayward yep. clothes, right? Like, yes, exactly. I want this blouse and, uh, and I can't identify the species. Somebody help me, tell me where to buy this. Yeah, so it's called The Hunt. Uh, it officially launches on uh, Tuesday. Uh, so, um, you know, that would be, what, uh, tomorrow, tomorrow yeah. I guess. Or yesterday? Tomorrow. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, apparently, there's 60,000 people already uh, playing around with this thing, including uh, a celebrity or two, one, one of which uh, being uh, Kate Middleton's stylist, apparently. Um, She's a celebrity? Apparently. Oh, man. Apparently, she's a celebrity, and she's also... Uh, in true blood or something. I don't know. Anyhow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you post a photo of something uh, someone's wearing or a dress that you want or, or what have you. Um, you specify a price range for it. Um, and, and, um, and then people, volunteers, hunters around the country, um, you know, hunt for a match of something like that. Um, you know, how close it needs to be to that uh, for you. Uh, and if you buy the match, they get points. Um, so, you know, it, it's kind of a crazy, crazy model. It's not about the exact product. It's about, you know, here's a dress that I really like. I post it up. Um, and then it's about finding something that's really close to that, that, you know, approximates that, um, you know, uh, and these hunters are out looking for it. And if they find it and you buy the thing, then they get rewarded for that. So, the guy who, who put this thing together is a guy named uh, Tim Weingarten, is the, uh, is the founder of this thing. And, and he, uh, he literally tries to describe this as the angry birds of shopping, uh, is what he's going for. Uh, it's supposed to be more fun than angry birds. So, there you go. Okay. Well, uh, okay. You know what? I, 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 I like <clears throat> the innovation. I like the thinking around this. I, it, you know, it could work. I, I, I like uh, it. I find nothing wrong with this because you know what I had a success with Project Noah over uh, over the last weekend, uh, actually this week, and uh, yeah. and the the wisdom of the crowd is far greater than the wisdom in my head, and um, and I, I think that this if this is a problem if 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 people are not able to find product because it's not linked to an engine or it doesn't go back to the website and there's something ridiculous like a stat like you know uh, like twelve thousand or one hundred twenty thousand uh, like it's, it's not that high, but some ridiculous number of Gap-related product photos are being tagged in Pinterest every minute or every hour, something like that. I'm so vague, but it's it's an incredible number. And like, here's a testament: is that we found this weird bug in our house, and yeah. the only place I knew where to think about to put it up uh, was Project Noah, which we've covered here there many times. Go. And within moments. I had a response that, in fact, that's a Western conifer seed bug, and uh, it's harmless, and uh, it actually it actually uh, um, feeds off of wasps and stuff. So it's like, and it was just sitting in my house, freaked me out. It was like this big, but um, but I tell you, crowdsourcing like this, in the way that the the find or the hunters, oh, it's, awesome. it's great. You know, and, and so this guy, this Tim Weingarten guy, uh, uh, who put this thing together, he says that shopping for friends already is a game for them. Um, this just gives them a platform to do it. So it, it's as simple as that. So there you go. The hunt uh, launches tomorrow or yesterday, uh, check or some other time. Yeah. 
go, go yeah. to thehunt.com if you're interested because you can take a you can take a sample of it you can go go and walk around it and see what what's uh, what's out there it's pretty pretty cool not a lot not a lot of not a lot of springsteen shirts that's okay all right we killed that one at least i just did with that springsteen reference that's two stories <laughs> all right our fourth story uh interesting china why don't you why don't you lead with this let's see talk about talk about this story yeah, yeah. <laughs> um you know so this, this is Beidou and the chinese government getting together uh Baidu or Beidou, i don't know how you say that properly um you know is a company that uh is a massive massive player in the market already um you know a big gps um system and what they've come out with is they said look um you know why go and build your own satellite navigation system you know if you're in the commercial vehicle space you know we're the chinese government we control everything so we're going to mandate that if you're in the commercial using if you have a commercial vehicle uh you're going to use Beidou, and and it's as simple as that um you know so you know this is all about uh you know control uh you know mandatory uh you know gps tracking systems um there's a lot going on in this story behind the scenes i am sure um uh you know and, and this is not the first time for the chinese around you know G gps and mapping uh control i mean when you go to google maps or you you pull up any kind of mapping in china uh, the data is is warped uh, mandatorily warped uh, by a factor of at least 20 percent uh, off off scale in terms of where you actually are so you think you're somewhere and when you look at a map uh, you know a GPS navigation map you're not really there for me this is an extension of that um, it, it's uh, it's all about control yes yeah I, I, I can't imagine it, it wouldn't be I mean this is you know, not only do you lord over uh, what your uh, you know um, what the country can consume in terms of media and content uh, that now it's about tracking. And if they could, you know, uh, if you could do like, uh, you know, the pet injections, I'm sure that the government would consider that as well. And, uh, but the, the speed with which they're rolling this out, they said that 80% of these uh, big trucks and, and uh, transport vehicles will be equipped by March. It just tells me that this is, I mean, there's no choice. I mean, in, in Canada, we had, uh, you know, for for uh, passenger safety, they were they wanted to install cameras in all cabs, and uh, yeah. I remember that. I mean, it was 18, 24 months of of discussion before this. This just rolls out overnight. Yeah. It's about national independence around you know satellites and GPS, uh, you know, control. I mean, you know, it, it's no different. The Russians are you know uh, expanding the glass the Glasnost. Uh, satellite uh, program you know in europe they've got galileo going on i mean so this is just china saying hey Beidou is the platform for us we've standardized on that we're forcing it into all commercial vehicles obviously they already have it on many other things so there uh, you go china. china yeah all right well we're going to jump right into our our fifth and last story and this is so canadian eh this is so canadian uh, in fact, I love it, and uh, I'm so glad that uh, that you found it. This is uh, Rink Watch. Yeah. So, so basically, what it is 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 powering local Canadian uh, citizens to basically plot their you know their community and their local ice rinks uh, on a map, and and for uh, you know scientists, uh, you know citizen scientists almost to sort of from an environmental perspective track where these rinks are, monitor them year to year. 
you know, the number of, uh, of days that you can actually skate on the rink because of weather conditions or, you know, the ice being, you know, uh, melting because it's too warm or what have you. So, so what they're trying to do is build a data map around ice skating uh, rinks, uh, you know, outdoor uh, properties that, uh, you know, is factoring in environmental conditions and, and being able to track that over a period of time to understand, you know, what's happening, you know, in the environment, you know, by, by measuring ice rinks, so to speak. Cool. So Canadian. And it's, and it's just so perfect because it's hockey and everybody, everybody gets behind this when, and when it comes to this. And, and if you see the concentration on that map, you'll quickly see that it's, uh, that it's highly concentrated around Ontario uh, in Southern Ontario, yeah. where it's, uh, where it's, it's interesting though for me, like because you know, if, if I think back, and, and I'm sure for you too, Rob. I mean, growing up in this country, you know, going back, you know, now that I'm 40, uh, anyways, uh, going back uh, to, to to my childhood, like, you know, it, it was a lot colder, consistently colder. We got a lot more snow uh, on a regular basis, you know, here in Toronto than we do now. You know, every community had a local ice rink, you know, uh, within, you know, five minutes walk from your house. Um, you know, all of that is gone. Like, we, we don't have that now. We, we don't, I mean, it's rare that we see snow here in Toronto now. Uh, it's generally pretty warm, uh, as you alluded to at the top of the show, here in Toronto. Um, there, there's virtually no ice rinks out there in the community at all. Um, you know, for not just for environmental reasons, funding reasons and other things, too. But... Um, you know, it, it's a different it, it's a different climate, and and I can see a value in monitoring and tracking data in this respect. Yeah, and you know what? It's um, e even in Ottawa. You know, this week by far was the coldest that we've seen. In fact, day before yesterday, which would have uh, been Wednesday, the twenty third of January, was the coldest day in Ottawa in eight years, which is pretty pretty yeah. amazing. And uh, in fact, for my kids, it was the coldest day of their entire lives. Right. Like that's, 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 yeah. the weather has changed dramatically, but we, we have, I think we, the city has uh, 300 outdoor rings, right? And, and they're, they're active. And we also have the canal, which is the world's second largest outdoor uh, skating rink. It's a canal system. If you've never been to Ottawa, it's beautiful. It's how the, you know, loggers got up and down uh, uh, from the rivers, between the rivers. And it was a, um, and, and it's, and it's a tourist attraction. Um, but, uh, mm -hmm. but the, the seasons are shorter and shorter and shorter. And, and so I, I love the fact that they've combined passions with, uh, you know, monitoring, ha monitoring what's happening and the, and the, uh, the weather patterns. So the simple things, right? It is. Now that we have, now that we have hockey back, it's, it's perfect. Everybody's happy. Everybody's so happy. And the senators yeah. are three and oh. The Leafs are not. No, senators are Stanley Cup bound. What? Uh, okay. So those are the five stories. Those are the five stories. A little bit different, more opinion, um, and hopefully you enjoy this little change-up. We just want to bring a, a little context into why it's why these stories are important, and they always are. So if you have any comments on those, reach out and uh, let us know. I told you I'm not giving you our email address, and you know them by now. So Asif, uh, you had an opportunity to sit down with Grant Ritchie, who is the founder and CEO of Locationary. Why don't you set this up? Yeah, great company. Also happens to be uh, local here in Toronto, uh, LBMA member company. Uh, really like these guys. I mean, the, the whole location data space, place-based, you know, the place listing data is an area that uh, we're seeing lots of evolution right now. And one of the nice and in interesting things about Locationary 
that you should take a look at down the road is is they have a whole gamification model around accuracy uh, uh, and sort of checking the accuracy of data, and that, which is a big issue around that. So they've actually uh, empowered people uh, within a community to you know verify the data and, and be rewarded in a micropayments kind of structure in a game model. So uh, really, really cool, interesting stuff. So here it is, Grant Ritchie, founder and CEO of Location. Well, it's that time again where we get to bring on a special guest on uh, the show. And this week, uh, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Grant Ritchie, founder and CEO of Locationary. Grant, welcome to This Week in Location-Based Marketing. Thank you so much, Steve. Great to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. It's great to have some of our uh, LBMA members to uh, to come on the show and share, uh, you know, just a little bit about what you're doing. So to kick things off, why don't you tell our audience, you know, who Locationary is, what are you guys all about? Locationary is uh, all about the platform Saturn. We're building this new data management platform. It's helping marketers and publishers integrate data from multiple sources to make their data better and to help them analyze it to improve quality of their marketing campaigns and the quality of the apps that they're building. And you're based in Toronto, is that right? Yep, right downtown Toronto. Right downtown Toronto. Okay. So, you know, one of the things that when we talk about data, and, and obviously we have, you know, a lot of dealings with various data companies, but one of the things that we hear over and over again about data is, you know, problems around accuracy uh, of that data. How, how do you guys deal with the accuracy issue? Well, the accuracy issue is a huge problem because um, it's not just the data itself, it's how you integrate the data together with other data. Um, data sets are important to integrate for marketing purposes or for publishers. Nobody has a complete set of this information. You need to pull together the data pieces from many different sources. So you're dealing with the accuracy of the raw data source, but you're all also dealing with the accuracy of the composite that you're building. And uh, if you do data wrong, you know, as Apple Maps shown, you know, it really has a big effect on your brand. And it's not only important for that, but it's also important to get your marketing campaigns right and make sure that you're contacting the right businesses. And so, uh, you know, when you talk about marketing campaigns, is that one of the uh, primary uh, audiences that you serve in terms of clients? Is it marketers or is it, you know, people who simply want, uh, you know, to have better ways to analyze their data? Who, who's your core constituent client? And, and maybe give us an example of somebody that you've been able to help. Sure. Um, you know, one example is Supermedia, and we've helped them on a variety of different angles. but. What they were uh, struggling with is uh, they had many different sources coming into their uh, organization. They felt locked into a couple sources. They needed help in managing them and integrating them to figuring out whether sources were relevant, should be uh, kept around. So we helped them create a, a data management platform inside their company so that they could take in data sources from all across their organization, merge them together, make sure that they were all working from the same data set, integrate that with better data from their data suppliers, and then take that data and help their sales force uh, get access to better information about the businesses that they're trying to contact. So it's really creating a whole type of data backbone inside the company for uh, managing and analyzing and integrating their data sources together. Excellent. So I'm going to ask you to get out your kind of crystal ball a little bit and uh, you know look to the future of you know the sort of the data uh, analysis and, and gathering business. I mean, you know, where where do you see this evolving to? I mean, there's a lot of players in the space right now. Can we expect consolidation? You know, can we expect you know new products and services? And if so, you know, kind of what do you see coming? Yeah, I see that the the internet and all the companies in the space are really trying to get better information from many different sources and. It kind of stuck in the 90s, so to speak, in that they're still sending around files to each other 
large database files in proprietary formats. Um, there's no real good way of, of synchronizing this information across many different organizations. And so I, I think we're going to see a, a leap into the future that when as businesses start connecting with each other, it's going to make the information on the mobile apps more relevant. It's going to make marketing campaigns more uh, you know, specific and targeted. Uh, advertising campaigns, we might even see mobile commerce start picking up. So I think we'll see this leap, the same same leap that we saw with the internet. Um, you know, as data starts connecting between all these big companies, we're going to see like a new type of internet develop, and that's going to create a whole different uh, set of uh, mobile apps and platforms and, and data services. And uh, it won't just be around selling you a large, massive database of information copied from yellow page books or, or whatever source you have. It's going to be about integrating you know, real-time information from you know, very narrow targeted segments, deeper information about products and services, um, you know, ad campaigns being integrated with all this information as well. So it's, a, it's kind of exciting because we're at this real cusp of businesses starting to now connect with each other. And I think that's going to play out over the next couple of years. And, and so if, there, if there's one thing you could leave our audience with in terms of you know, why locationary uh, as opposed to anybody else, what is, what is that thing? We're, we're the uh, neutral data agnostic platform for marketers and publishers to manage all of their business data assets. So we don't lock you into any particular data set. We help you analyze the, all the different data sets, integrate as many as uh, you have access to in a way where you don't have to worry as a marketer about bothering the tech team with uh, your data management processes. You as a marketer can get access to our platform and do all of that stuff that traditionally those tech team people did, but doing that in our uh, platform. So it really makes it easy to use for the marketers and publishers who are curating these data sets. Fantastic. Well, again, we've been uh, chatting with Grant Ritchie, founder and CEO of Locationary. Uh, for more information, you can uh, visit them at uh, www.locationary.com. Yep. Grant, thank you so much for, uh, for uh, joining us today and spending time on the show. My pleasure. Thanks again. All right, so uh, thanks again to, uh, to Grant for uh, giving us the time and uh, sharing a little bit more insight into uh, the world of Locationary. For more information on that, you can uh, check them out at www.locationary.com. Great. Thank you, Grant. Thank you, sir. Hey, uh, you know, before we get into our resource, uh, I do want to mention that uh, I have been um, on uh, Asif's request uh, assembling all of those interviews, those little mini interviews that we've done throughout the 114 episodes of This Week in Location-Based Marketing. So I'm compiling those and we're going to put them in a resource so you can you can actually just go and watch those six-minute clips if you've missed any of those. Uh, so w w I'm working through them. That's all I got to say, Asif, is that I'm working through them. All right. So we'll, we'll probably launch when we've got about uh, 30 of them available and uh, and then you'll be able to just uh, see some of the insights, some of the, some of the great content that has been buried inside of, uh, you know, of, of these episodes for uh, these 114 episodes. So they're coming to see, I promise. Now I've committed on tape. I believe. All right. All right, under our resource of the week, this is, I don't even know how to take this anymore, right? It's like, it's like saying, this is, this is a, um, a Forrester, Forrester report saying that proximity payment is the fastest growing segment of mobile payments. And Forrester, I don't know where, these guys are like, these guys are like four years behind. Like it just seems. I have to agree with you on this. So, so they come out with this report. Um, uh, mobile payments overall uh, are expected to move toward the mainstream and reach 90 billion by 2017. Um, and uh, you know they're talking about you know proximity payments uh, going to jump from four percent to 45 percent. Well, 
so here's my reaction to this. I'm like, what is a mobile payment if it's not proximity based? I think they're talking about the difference between like, like, uh, like I, I pick up my, my phone and it's like a browser, like a desktop experience where I go to Amazon and I buy something and have it shipped versus so, in a store yeah. making a payment. So do we not obviously think that the majority of a mobile, of mobile transactions are going to happen in proximity to where I can buy the thing? Like that, that's what, that's what floors me is that if that's like saying, Hey, you know what? Well, we don't need like, you know, why are we spending money on this? This is obvious stuff. Well, but it's it's yeah. like saying that cash is going to be the number one proximity payment mechanism, right? Is this like all you're doing is replacing yeah. cash with your with your mobile device, right? Like, yeah. So you know, this is just data that uh, obviously the mobile uh, you know service providers, payments providers need you know something to back up you know what they're doing. Great, Forrester's there to back you up and give you some data. But this is the kind of stuff that it just should be so obvious that we don't need to do this research. I'm sorry. But it's there if you want it. Well, I, I have I have no time for this kind of data, just like you, uh, Asif, that, that uh, these guys, Forrester, I think, are, are a little bit lost. They are peddling content that is not really content. This is, I agree. What a waste of time. What a waste of effort. But if, you, if, you, if you're looking for a distinction between the two of them, uh, you know, you can find this. Uh, just do a search literally for proximity payment is fastest growing segment of mobile payments. Or you could just yeah. do a search for no, duh. All right. They, they'll probably come up at the same time. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not to dissuade Forrester. I mean, like, they do do good research. The, the problem I have here is, is that we're, we're starting to get into this, this, this world where we, we keep slicing things into, you know, too fine of a segment. Like, you know, the distinction between mobile commerce and proximity-based commerce, like, you know, mobile proximity or whatever they're calling it, do we need to make that, that separation? You know, do we need to segment out, you know, uh, digital out of home and, and digital place-based, you know, thing based on dwell time? Like, do we need to make these little fine slices? I don't think so. Well, um, but anyway, people, people out there who are smarter than I uh, think think that we do. So there you, you go. Know, I, I wonder if it's just about uh, satisfying, um, you know, a, a return on investment or a statement that you made to the to the media or something to that extent, right? Or, or you've sold to your customers that this is important. But all this does for me, for Forrester, is just is just tell tell me that they're that they're lagging behind and they need help. They need our help. They need the the power of the LBMA to be able to to really understand what all of this means and stop putting out this kind of ridiculous drivel. Um, do focus the efforts on the things that make make a difference because cash is a proximity payment, right? Yeah, it is. I, I think so. So uh, you know, this is one of those things, and we're talking about. Everybody's talking about mobile wallets and NFC for payments and, and uh, hello, that's all part of this. And if, I, if these guys are just coming out with these stats, how can you believe anything else that comes from them? They need our help. Boy, they need our help. Does anybody know anybody in Forrester out there? They need our help. Please. That's yeah. it. That's our resource. Uh, you can you know, right. look up the link. So on that note. Yeah. One, <laughs> one more note. Asif and I want to engage with you guys, you, the, the, the fine listener. Please, you who are who are listening to us right now, I'm talking to you. We we would love to do. We want to do this thing called a hangout on Google. It's a Google hangout, and we have solicited some ideas about what we want to talk about. We want to bring in experts. We want to engage, have uh, a Q and A session between Asif and I. Uh, we don't want to do all the questions. We want to answer some questions. If you have any, we want to start a discussion. And we're looking to do this at the beginning of February. If you have any ideas, if you have any questions that you'd like to bring up, please, please. Reach out to us by email, 
through Twitter. You'll see it, uh, you know, coming up on our Twitter stream as you're as you're listening to it this week. We want to do a Google Hangout at the beginning of February, first week in February, so that we can actually start answering questions if you've got any. We want to really help, and uh, this is one way that we can actually leverage what we know and the stuff and the questions that you have and bring the two together. So we're going to do a Google Hangout. So please, if you have any questions, yep. show up. Really excited about it. I think it's a you know uh, a great. Uh way to uh, connect better with all of you out there anyways and and, uh, and have that sort of one-to-one -one channel so we're really looking forward to it i'm really excited about it and uh open any question out there so let's go. more details to come you can sign up to our newsletters either at untether.tv or the lbma.com and we will have an announcement in that when that comes out it'll be in the next week or so that we we solidify all of these things and the end the topic but bring your questions we might just have an open forum and it's free gratis yeah. <clears throat> and, and and one last thing too from from our side uh you know, in addition to this podcast that we've been doing for 114 episodes, uh, there's a new podcast, is there not, Rob? There is. Wow. There's a new podcast. Uh, you know, we, we've been growing, the, the audience has been growing uh, significantly over the last year in, in the European market in particular. Uh, and we thought, uh, you know, to do uh, sort of a, a split out show um, from, from the main show, the weekly show, on a monthly basis, we're going to try and do a European only focus show. So this week in location-based marketing, the European edition uh, will debut uh, this this week as well. So watch for that on Twitter and everywhere else. And uh, yeah, if you're in Europe and you want to know what's going on in Europe, there it is. And we can't do this without you. We can't do this without our partners, Street Fight and GPS Business News, who help us distribute this. We can't do this without each other, I suppose. A little bit of technology. Rogers for some for some of us as well. Uh, but most of all, it is the feedback and the responses and the views that we get from you who are out there listening to this right now. So thank you so much. We really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, we'll be back for episode number 115 next Friday of this week in location-based marketing. And stay tuned. Start looking for that, the very first episode of the European edition coming up this week as well. well see, until next week, man. Cheers. See everybody. Have a good week. <laughs>